Does God ever punish his children? Now, I'm not talking about those who do not belong to him. I'm talking about those who do belong to him. Does God ever punish his children? Well, to answer that question, we've got to go to the Bible and we've got to define our terms. You know, some questions are easy to answer. Do you want something to eat? That's an easy question, right? Sure. But then there are other questions who come along and we have to make sure that we understand what we're being asked and we have to define the terms that are being asked. So does God ever punish his children? Now, if we're talking about punishing his children in the sense of condemning his children, the answer is no. In fact, the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's a wonderful verse. I would encourage you to write it down, mark it, and memorize it. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, the moment that we placed our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ, all of our sin, past, present, and future, all of our sin was forgiven. Jesus took our sin upon himself upon the cross. And we are forever forgiven, forever free. We're justified, as the the theological term is, we're justified. That is, we're declared righteous and just before God because not only did Jesus take away our sin upon Himself, He credited our account with His righteousness. And so when we think about this question, does God ever punish His children? We know from a condemnation standpoint, no, He doesn't. But then we come to a passage like Hebrews chapter 12. And we begin to read Hebrews chapter 12 and we begin to say, well, what exactly does this mean? Now, I want to read this to you today from the NLT just because it kind of uses a more modern um, word uh, here and it's more modern sounding. And I want you to hear exactly what's being said in Hebrews 12. And you can follow along in your copy of the Scripture. And then we'll get to Nahum. We're going there because we're in a series we're calling the rest of the story. And, and I told you last week, if those that were not here, I didn't want to do this series. Had no plans to do this series. Wasn't on my radar screen and never, never even prepared for this. And God led me to this little book of Nahum. And there's a reason behind that. And, and some of it I'm still trying to figure out because I look at what's coming in the book and I think, well, what exactly are we... But anyway, that's for later. We're here today. And God has a word for us today and I I begin to understand better why God led me to this book because we need to be able to answer this question intelligently from a biblical basis. Does God ever punish His children? Now you're in Hebrews chapter 12 by now, I hope. I want to begin reading at verse 5 and read down through verse 11. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? So notice he's writing to believers, God's children. He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes, watch this, he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really His children at all. 
Verse 9 says, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. (laughs) Can anybody say amen right there? No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, it says. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So our question is, does God ever punish his children. I could have worded it, does God ever discipline His children? Well, in the sense of condemnation, no. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But in the idea of correction, the answer is yes. God does discipline us or punish us. And some people don't like to use the word punish and understand why because they think, well, that's a different idea. But it says here in the Scripture, He disciplines us, He punishes us, not in condemning us, but in correcting us. Now, why? Well, why does He discipline us? Why does He punish us? Ever how you want to say it. Why? Because He's a loving Father. That's why. And He desires what is best for us. If you're a parent, if you've ever been a parent, you understand exactly what we just read in that passage in Hebrews 12. You understood it. Why? And if you don't understand it, you better learn it quick. You better learn it quick. Letting a child do whatever they want is not loving, it is reckless. It's not loving, it's reckless. To let a child live however they want, you see, because love corrects, love disciplines, not in the sense of condemning someone, but in the sense of correcting someone and helping that child to learn how to live. What's one of the biggest problems we face today? We face a society and generation upon generation that have not been disciplined, that have not learned authority and to submit to authority. And we see a recklessness in our society. We see a recklessness all around us. Why do the schools struggle so much? Why do the teachers struggle so much? Why do the principals struggle so much? Because there's not been that authority taught in the home And so the child comes and doesn't know to to, to submit to authority. They don't know what authority is. They don't care about authority. And so love disciplines. Love corrects. Now, we don't like to think about or talk about it in regard to God and us. Why? Because it's an unpleasant subject. We don't like to think about the fact that God disciplines us. Or God, if you want to use that term, punishes us, not in condemning us, but in correcting us. We like to think about God as a loving, doting grandfather. And as a loving, doting grandfather, he maybe sits in his divine rocking chair and he just spoils us and he laughs at everything that we do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God is not a loving, doting grandfather. The reality is he is a loving father who loves us with an unending love. And because he loves us, he disciplines us. He corrects us. He sets us straight. We read this morning about 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God may be perfect, that is mature, thoroughly equipped 
And so there is this correction. And Nahum teaches us about God. I mentioned it last week. Some things about God that we don't always like to think about. That is that God is a jealous God. We talked about what that meant. That God is a God of wrath and a God of anger. And we cannot pick and choose just what we like. God is not a buffet. God is a person. And we take Him for who He is. Now the reality is, as a loving Father, He disciplines us as His children. But I want to be careful today. I want to put some, some things right up front. And I want to be careful today because some, there are some who could take what I'm about to teach you today and what I'm already teaching you today and run wild with it. And they could blame every mishap in life upon the discipline of God. Even worse, some people could take what we're teaching today, the Bible teaches here today, and go to other people and say to other people, I know why that's happening to you. God is disciplining you. God is punishing you. Listen, don't do that. Some things that happen to us, some bad things that happen to us, happen to us because we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. Sickness or job loss might just be because of germs and a bad economy. Not necessarily divine discipline. Now, God will use that in your life. And God will build you. In Romans 8.28 says He uses all things and works them all together. But some things are not a result of divine discipline from God. It's just the fact that we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world. And so if we go out this afternoon after I'm done and you've got a flat tire, and I don't want somebody to say, you're being judged by God. No, they just ran over a nail on the way to church. And maybe they are, we don't know. But it's not my job to tell them that. and It's not your job. They have to seek the Lord. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We also suffer because of other people sinning against us. That's very difficult. Other people sin against us. And we suffer because of that. Our, our lives are not lived just in isolation. When sin takes place, it impacts other people. We also suffer because of our own poor choices. Our decisions have consequences. Um, what's the old saying? Some people sow their wild oats and then they pray for crop failure. But that doesn't work, does it? Because we know that sin and choices have consequences. And sometimes, can I just be quite frank with you, God gets blamed for a lot of things that He didn't do and didn't cause. A lot of the problems we have in our lives because we made poor choices ourselves. Now, I say all that to say this. While we don't jump to conclusions about other people, and when it comes to our own lives, we don't maybe necessarily go directly to this. It is worth considering when hardship comes, when suffering comes, when pain comes, when times are difficult from a personal standpoint, it might be, it could be the Lord is bringing discipline in our lives. And I'm pretty convinced, too, that a lot of us, we kind of know when those times are. Sometimes we don't, and sometimes we have to think about it, but sometimes we know that we've been in the wrong or we've been going a path or we've been doing something and God has been trying to get our attention and at some point He brings discipline into our lives. You see, God does not let His child sin and get away with it. Why? Because He loves us too much. In fact, let me just say this, and I want to be careful in how I say this, but if you can sin 
and live in sin and it really does not bother you that you're living in sin, you need to make sure that you truly are a child of God. I don't know if you heard it, but Hebrews 12, 8 says, if God doesn't discipline you as He does all His children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really His children at all. It is possible to profess to know Christ, but not really know Christ. And so one of the signs that we know Christ is that when we sin... It does bother us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We realize we've done wrong. Our conscience bothers us. And we have to deal with that sin. And we go to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. But if you can sin and sin and sin and sin and sin and it doesn't bother you, it doesn't affect you, it doesn't do anything to you, you just live joyfully on your way, you better stop and ask yourself, am I really a child of God or not? Because if I'm really a child of God, while God is long-suffering and God is patient, God is going to deal with me as a loving Father. And if He never does, He may not be my Father. And I don't want anybody to... I'm not trying to make anybody doubt their salvation, but the Scripture is clear. There are many who will say to Him in that day, Lord, Lord, we did this in Your name and that in Your name and all these wonderful works. It's one of the saddest passages of Scripture. And what does it say? It says Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from Me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So make sure that you are in the family of God. Make sure that Jesus is your Savior. And if you are saved, when you sin, when I sin, notice I didn't say if. When we choose to sin, we don't have to sin, but we choose to sin. When we sin, we should go immediately to the Father and ask His forgiveness. And there are times maybe we don't do that. And there are times where there is discipline that comes about. And even as believers, I was teaching the youth this morning, there are still consequences for our sin. God forgives. But there are still consequences even in an earthly realm of our sin. But God forgives. But God will not let you sin and get away with it. Now, God has many ways of bringing discipline into our lives. And sometimes that way is through other people. Don't look around, please. But sometimes God uses other people to discipline us. By the way, God uses other people to train us in many ways. I want to remind you, let me encourage you, that that person that just gets under your skin, that just drives you up a wall, don't look around. That person who just drives you nutty, it could be, I'm not talking about this, but it could be that God is just using that person to sanctify you. <laughs> to sanctify you. Because He's always at work in our lives. And not from a discipline standpoint, but as a maturing standpoint, to teach you. You know, he's working to knock off the rough edges and to make us more humble and make us more loving and make us more patient. And it could be that person has been put in your life to teach you patience. Don't look at your spouse, all right? Now, this brings us back to Nahum today. Last week, I did an informal survey, and I didn't see anybody that really was, felt like they were really up to snuff on Nahum. Wasn't their favorite book. Don't know much about it not really on their radar screen. I remind you that Nahum is a story, we call it the rest of the story, because it tells us the rest of the story of a place called Nineveh. 
Now, if you grew up in church or you've read your Bible, Nineveh probably jogs your memory. You say, well, I've heard that before. And you probably think about Nineveh because you think about the story that most people learn if they grew up in Sunday school as a very young child, the story of Jonah and the whale. And you remember the story that Jonah was told to go and preach against this wicked place called Nineveh. And Jonah's the prodigal prophet. He says, I don't want to go there. And so he goes the opposite direction, catches a ship going to Tarshish. He's out there. God sends a storm. Long story short, he's thrown overboard. He spends some time in the well motel. He gets right and prays. Gets vomited up on the land. And he goes about preaching judgment upon Nineveh. And horror of horrors to, to Jonah, a great revival takes place. And God spares his judgment of that place. Jonah is boiling mad, we find out later in the book. He wants to die. He's so angry. He believes that these people should have been judged and God should have judged them. But God in grace and mercy, and they were a wicked people, mind you. They really were. It's a wicked kingdom, a wicked people. But they repent and God relents in his judgment and we have this great revival. And we believe, even though it doesn't say it, but we believe that Jonah got right too because he wrote the book of Jonah and he put all the details in there. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't make himself look good. He told the story as it was. And we believe he eventually got right about that. It's my own personal conviction. But now we come and we fast forward in the story. We're about 100, a year, 100 years or so after the great revival under Jonah. And we find that there's a message for Nineveh again. And not only Nineveh, but the entire Assyrian kingdom. And this time the message is not one of repent. It's one of judgment. It's one of doom. God is done. Um, as, as several scholars said, that they, they had relented of their repenting. They, were, they had gone wickedly on their way and God was done. Now I want to pick up our reading today, and I'm going to read this time from a New King James Nahum chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Remember what I said, sometimes God uses other people to bring about discipline in our lives. Let's pick up our reading, Nahum chapter 1, verse 9. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise a second time. For while tangled like thorns and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Now our passage for today begins at verse 12. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly, he is utterly cut off. While the message is about Nineveh, it's written to comfort Judah. I told you that Nahum, I told you this last week, Nahum means comfort. That's what it literally means. 
And though it's a message of doom and gloom against Nineveh and the Assyrian kingdom, it is meant to be a word of comfort to Judah. Now we're focusing on verses 12 through 15 today, and we notice that the Lord is speaking to Judah in particular in verses 12 and 13 and 15. So keep this in your mind. In verses 12, 13, and 15, he's speaking to Judah. And in verse 14, he's speaking to Nineveh. This is the word of the Lord. So the words in verses 12, 13, and 15 are to Judah, his people. And then in verse 14, he's speaking to the evil people of Nineveh. Now, one of the ways the Lord brings discipline to his people is through the enemies of God. Notice the words in the end of verse 12. He says, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Verse 13 talks about he's going to break the yoke off of his people and he's going to burst apart their, their bonds from them. God was using his enemies, the enemies of God's people, to discipline his people. And this is not the only instance of him doing so. We see other instances in Scripture where God uses even evil nations and evil people to discipline his people. Now that does not mean, listen, that does not mean that God is causing the wickedness of these people. He doesn't and he couldn't. God tempts no man to sin. God causes no one to sin. God cannot tolerate sin. God is holy. God is perfect. But God can use man's evil to bring about his purposes and his desires and his will. I love the picture here. Even though these people, the Ninevites, the Assyrian kingdom, they're afflicting his people and God is allowing it to take place to discipline his people, God was still in complete and total control. It wasn't just he gave them free reign. He was in total control. I think about Satan. He presents himself... uh, to God there in the book of Job. You remember God says, where have you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro in all the earth. He begins to accuse. Uh, he's an accuser of the brethren. He accuses Job to God's face. And, and God says, okay, you can test him. You remember the story there in Job. God says, you can do this, but no more. And he put a limit on him. You can do this and no more. It's important to remember that God is always in control. He's always in control. Wearsby said it this way. When God permits His children to go through the furnace, He keeps His eye on the clock and His hand on the thermostat. God is always in complete and total control. When God disciplines His children, it's always the right amount. It's always the right degree. It's always perfect. We can't say that. We can't say that. How many parents here today would admit that in disciplining your children you've made some mistakes over the years? I mean, let me just ask you this way. Are there any parents here today who would raise a hand or stand up and say, I always perfectly discipline my children? Anybody want to raise a hand or stand up? If you do, I'll sit down and you can come up here and you can teach this. We, We can't. Why? Because we're... We're sinners saved by grace. And sometimes we don't know exactly how to go about doing it. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we go overboard. Sometimes we go underboard. Sometimes we do too much. Sometimes we do too little. Sometimes we do it in the flesh. But not God. God is perfect. And when God brings discipline to my life and to your life, it's always absolutely the right degree, the right time, the right everything. Because He is perfect. We're not perfect. God is. Now when God is disciplining us, when the right time comes, 
and he's done with the discipline, we might call it deliverance. Deliverance. And we find deliverance here in the book of Nahum. We see in verses 12 and 13. But look at how complete God's deliverance is going to be in verse 14. So these words are spoken to Nineveh. Verse 14 is directed toward Nineveh. And I think in particular to Nineveh's ruler or leader. Look at verse 14. I want you to see how complete. He's promised deliverance to his people. Now he's going to turn to the enemies. Here's what's going to happen to you. Here's how I'm going to deliver my people. Verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you. This is not just the words of Nahum. This is the word of the Lord through Nahum. Your name shall be perpetrated, perpetrated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave for you are vile. When it comes to Nineveh, when it comes to the Assyrian kingdom, he's speaking of the kingdom, he's speaking of Nineveh, and I think he's particularly speaking to the ruler. He's called the plotter in verse 11. Did you notice in verse 11? From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. He says, I'm done with you. I'm going to deal with you. And it was such a complete deliverance. Notice he talked about the fact he's going to cut off his family life, his family line, his family line. Your name shall be perpetrated. I can't say it today. Perpetrated no longer. Sound like the putty cat, don't I? <laughs> Not only Nineveh, but the king himself. I'm going to cut off. That says family life. It's just a family line. I'm going to cut off your family line and your family life. In other words, there's not going to be a long line in your kingdom. And every king wants what? He wants those who come behind him. He wants his kingdom to stand and to continue on. But God says, no, I'm going to cut off your family line. I'm going to cut it off. Your name will not go forward any longer. Not only that, he's going to cut off their false religion. He says, out of the house of your gods, little g, your, idol, your idols, your idolatry, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. False gods are futile. God will utterly destroy the false gods of the Ninevites and the Assyrian kingdom. And not only the family line and the false religion, he's going to literally cut off his life. He's going to end his life. He says there in the end of verse 14, I will dig your grave for you are vile. Think about that. Imagine God saying those words to you. I will dig your grave for you are vile. And not only is he saying that, I believe, to the king of, or the ruler of Nineveh, but also to the kingdom itself and Nineveh itself. You are vile and you will die. Now, I find it very interesting to look at and distinguish here the discipline of God's child and the punishment of God's enemy. It's very interesting to think about those things. For the enemy of God, there is condemnation. He's condemning them here. He's bringing doom and gloom and punishment upon them. And we said, listen, as God's children, when God disciplines us, it is not about condemnation. It's about correction. And we see that played out here in his discipline of his children. It's been all about correction, but in the discipline and the punishment of his enemies, it's all about condemnation. Now this brings us to the third thing you find here. Not only the discipline and not only the deliverance, but the devotion. The devotion that's mentioned here. Verse 15 is what I'm talking about. Look at verse 15. Behold, on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings... 
who proclaims peace. And notice what it says. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. There's a call here in verse 15 for Judah to return to their worship of the Lord. Devotion of the Lord. And I've got to remind you, one of the main reasons that God disciplines His children is because of this. He wants us to return in our devotion to Him. To return to fellowship. To return to worship. Let me remind you that when a child of God sins, if you're a Christian here today, when you sin, you don't lose your salvation. You're truly a child of God. Because I said what earlier, the Bible teaches that the moment you trusted Christ, all of your sin, past, present, and future, was laid upon Jesus, and you're freely forgiven, and you're fully forgiven, and you're forever forgiven. And yet you say, well, I still sin. Yes, yeah, so do I. What does that do? Does that take away our salvation? No, but it takes away our fellowship with the Father. It hinders our fellowship with the Father. You see, from a judicial standpoint, we've been forgiven forever. God as judge looks at us and says, innocent, I see Christ in your place. But as a loving Heavenly Father, when we sin, we do wrong. As a loving Father in His child, He says, ah, there's sin, there's wrongdoing, and it impacts the fellowship that we have with Him. Now, from a human standpoint, it breaks down. Why? Because the parent is a sinner and the child is a sinner. But from a loving Heavenly Father and a child, He's always perfect. He's always right. He's never done wrong. And so if there's a strain in the fellowship, if there's a strain there, it's because of us. We've sinned. We've sinned. And that sin, it impacts our fellowship with the Father. I remember a story, you know, when you're dating and you have an old pickup truck. It's good because you have that bench seat. And the fellas there, maybe at the wheel, and the girl can be right there, right beside him. It's not these bucket seats, I mean a bench seat. And I heard a story about this couple. They were going along, I guess they maybe had gotten married at this point and they're going along driving one day and she's over there and she says, you know, I remember back when we were dating we used to be right side by side. And he said, I'm not the one that moved. <laughs> and if there's a strain in your fellowship with the Lord, He didn't move. He didn't move. You moved. And so he brings discipline if he needs to. And the discipline is not just being just pour out wrath on you. No, he poured his wrath out on Jesus on your behalf. He's disciplining you. Why? Because he wants you to slide over and be next to him. He wants to return that devotion that you once had. I don't know if he kept Hebrews 12 open or not. If you, if you did, look back there again. I want you to notice we see it played out there. Remember, we read all these verses about his, his disciplining us. But in Hebrews 12, we see it. As well, Hebrews 12, 12 through 14. He talks about the discipline of the Lord. Then he says in verse 12, So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, because, uh, not fall but become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone. And listen, and work at living a holy life 
For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. What is he doing in his discipline? He's correcting us. He's bringing us back in fellowship with himself. He's making us more holy. What we have here is discipline. Then deliverance. Why? So there will be devotion. A return to worship. A return to fellowship. A return to intimacy with God. C.S. Lewis so famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our consciousness. And He shouts to us in our pain. And sometimes God has to bring some pain in our lives to get our attention and turn our heart back to Him. And so to answer the question we started out with, does God ever punish His children? And many would say, I'd rather use the word discipline. Well, let's use the word discipline. Does God ever discipline His children? Yes. Yes, He does. In fact, if He doesn't discipline you, then you're probably not His child. Right? That's what it says. You're not His child. But when God disciplines us, it's not in the sense of condemnation. It's in the sense of correction. There's a purpose in His discipline. Discipline is a sign of His love for us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19 says, As many as I love... He's speaking to the church there. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Which brings me to this point. It's the final thought today. Could it be that God... Maybe you're going through some time... Could it be that He is disciplining you? Could it be that He is shouting to you in the pain? Maybe you've considered everything else. You say, well, I don't know. Why is this happening? Well, I'm not saying that it is God's discipline, but it could be. And so it's worth going to Him and saying, Lord, is there something in my life that is not right? And if it is, let me encourage you to do what Revelation says there. Be zealous and repent. Perhaps today you're here and you profess to be a Christian and in all honesty, you're not real sure about it. Well, you ought to get sure about it. If you don't know for certain that Christ is your Savior, today is the day to come and give your life to Christ. While these are not popular truths here from Nahum, they are needed truths. And they are vital truths. And so can I just say to you in closing, don't ignore them. Don't neglect them. Don't miss them. But meditate on them. Think about them. Consider them. Knowing that when God brings discipline to your life, He does it not because He dislikes you. He does it because He loves you. And He always will. Father, we love You today. And we thank You for this time. And Lord, we have considered so much truth in these few moments together. But Lord, whatever truth it is that we need to individually focus on at this moment, I pray Your Holy Spirit to apply the truth to the hearts of these people today. If someone's lost, save them. If someone's being disciplined, bring them back to Yourself. Help us, Lord, to learn the lessons You're teaching us. Help us, Lord, Many of us are parents and we're actively engaged in this with our own families. Help us to have wisdom in bringing about discipline and correction in our children's lives. They might respect others and ultimately they might respect and reverence you. Lord, we love you. 
and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn in the altar is open. I'm here, Pastor Larry's here. 543, Nearer My God to Thee. You need to come and pray. We'd love to help you if you need to. Just let us know. If you want to pray on your own, that's fine as well. We would invite you to come. 543, Nearer My God to Thee. Let's stand